I'm Matt Dixon, and welcome to the Purple Patch Podcast. The mission of Purple Patch is to empower and educate every human being to reach their athletic potential. Through the lens of athletic potential, you reach your human potential. The purpose of this podcast is to help time-starved people everywhere integrate sport into life. And welcome once again to the Purple Patch Podcast. As ever, this is your host, Matt Dixon, and this week we talk about fueling, particularly the power of post-workout fueling. Now, I've talked about this subject before, but today we're going to go deeper and broader. And the catalyst for today's show actually stemmed from a very public conversation I had with an author who I both greatly respect and enjoy their work. And we happened to be sharing a stage discussing recovery when she made a strong statement to the audience. Listen, folks, you don't need to worry about refueling full in your workouts. As long as you get enough protein throughout the day, the research shows that protein synthesis or muscle rejuvenation occurs with those calories just spread across the day. So just focus on eating lots of protein and you'll be great. Well, in theory, there's nothing wrong with that. And yet, my ears pricked up. What made me doubt the advice? Advice that ultimately bubbles out of good research. She wasn't wrong, but in my opinion, her advice was incorrect. Why? Well, my observations show that simply following advice like this tends to lead to habits that seldom provides the results we need, both in terms of optimal recovery and adaptation, but also in optimizing energy levels and focus throughout the workday. And second, our mission is always about execution for the athlete. And while the research suggests that our muscles repair relative to daily global intake, when we tend to put this into action, it's rare that I see that people are successful. Life is busy, and a more random approach consistently provides me with performance-driven people who are frustrated with energy fluctuations, a lack of portion control, lower training consistency, and many more issues. They end up underfed and overstressed. And so, today, I expand. I outline my thoughts on post-workout fueling through the lens of a coach whose simple task is to achieve results. I am lucky I'm not burdened with only following research papers in one area, muscle physiology. I have the privilege of looking at the big picture, including the repeatable ability to execute good habits. So this is post-workout fueling in all its glory. But first, let's welcome him back. Yep, the jingle in fine form. Bring it, Barry. We like the way he thinks. Serious with a wink. Let's open the book. It's time to take a peek. It's the Dictionary Word of the Week. Yes, we welcome back Word of the Week this week. And the word for the week is Ohana. Ohana, the Hawaiian word for family. Danny boy, nice to meet you in Kona. This one's for you, my friend. Yes, this week we were at the Hawaii training camp for Purple Patch and I saw our extended Purple Patch family in action. As we held our camp, never had we faced so much random adversity in the week. Quick-fire pool closures due to mechanical issues, highly unusual windier conditions, our main assistant coach needing to depart unexpectedly, much, much more. And throughout it all, poor me, I carried a deathly illness. But... I didn't want to miss out any of the adventure, and I shared the entire camp with Ohana, the Purple Patch family. Throughout it all, at the end of the camp, 
a couple of things occurred. First, we had successful campers, those campers who came together and shined. Second, all the campers improved and departed with so much to work from. And finally, our team of coaches, who through the adversity of losing their main assistant coach, stepped up and owned their excellence. Emma Briggs, Matt Hurley, Michael Zinsky, Kevin Collington. You were brilliant. You were the backbone of the camp. And I realized that to make these camps special, it becomes a shared mission. As each random, unrelated and uncontrollable roadblock was thrown upon us, our family of coaches and athletes were united in making something special. And they did. It ended up being special. And so what was the most challenging camp experience I'd ever faced came one of the most rewarding experiences for us collectively. And the backbone of this was Purple Patch Ahana, our family. So thank you to her all and my new mate Dan who made the suggestion for this word. This one's for you, Dan. Ahana, no one gets left behind. And now, let's get on with the meat and potatoes. Yep, the meat and potatoes this week, we discuss post-workout fueling. And we're going to be talking about this through two lenses. The first is your performance in training and sport. So why fueling is important for you if you want to maximize or get the biggest return on your training investment. And the second is the impact of post-workout fueling on your daily energy. And how do we get to stabilize and manage that so that you can thrive in the rest of your day? But in order to dive deep, we first need to come up a level. You see, this is a subject that has a broad range of recommendations, and often it's mapped on quality research. But that research is often not located in a broader real-world habits and positive applications. So as we navigate this subject, I'm going to highlight a few key paradoxical points in which I might actually advise you to do something that contradicts some research. But I'm going to ask for you to do it anyway. And of course, I'm going to explain my reasons for the advice as we go along. Secondly, I think that we have to avoid discussing this subject in a vacuum. Just like if I was talking about recovery or global nutrition or training methodology, the success of any approach is always going to be influenced for good or for bad by your habits in other areas. In other words, by way of an example, your training effectiveness will be completely dismantled if you have very poor sleep. And so while today we're going to discuss fueling in depth, let's put it in perspective first. Let's talk about what fueling is. So in the big bucket or pillar of nutrition, I like to break down four main elements. The first is your daily eating habits. So that is your platform of health and nutritional support. That's your breakfast, lunch, dinners and snacks before we consider exercise and training. The second big component of your nutrition pillar is fueling, what we're going to discuss today. And those are your calories consumed during and immediately following training or racing. The third component, of course, is hydration and what I would label performance hydration. So the mission to retain hydration status as much as we can with the fluids consumed during your training and racing. 
And then finally, your life water, your daily hydration. Those are the fluids consumed in daily life for the platform of your health, as well as, of course, to restore your hydration status that has to occur between training sessions. Well, that's just your nutrition pillar. And your nutrition pillar is one of four pillars that make up the big puzzle of performance. Endurance training, strength training, recovery, that big subject that we like, and nutrition. And in order for us to succeed as performance-driven people, we always need to keep a lens on all four. And today, we're going to dive into one, and we're going to dive into one component of that pillar, just the fueling component. We're going to ignore daily eating. We're not going to talk about hydration. We're only going to talk about post-workout fueling. But why is it important? Why is it that we have such a focus on post-workout fueling? In fact, when I sit and do discussions or talks or get interviewed and people say, what are the biggest mistakes that endurance athletes or performance-driven people make? I usually focus on two first. The first going too hard in the easy sessions. The second, post-workout fueling. But why? Well, I notice several common occurrences for performance-driven people and my athletes, of which they carry a detrimental impact on your training return. In other words, the adaptations that you get from your hard work. But also, having these negative habits has an impact on your daily energy, your body composition, and a cascade of things that spill into your life performance. And I can distill these into three main observations. The first is that the vast majority of athletes tend to undereat relative to their training demands. So for those that are training a fair amount, especially if you're doing two sessions a day, it's extremely rare for me to see these athletes are actually getting enough calories to support the training demands. Secondly, many athletes have no plan, and ultimately, haphazard eating equals random results. Now, I'm not a fan of too much rigor and structure, as it tends to shift the relationship with food, and let's face it, drives people absolutely mental, but it is high value to integrate habits that promote nutritional support. And finally, skipping fueling consistently provides a knock-on in results, both in terms of your energy stabilization and your training consistency. So do we need some new voodoo diet? Do we have to have a rigid calendar and a stopwatch around your eating timing? Should we follow the wind of research on whether to fast fuel quickly or whether just to spread out the day? Should we eat mini meals or should we go to periodic gluttony? No. Ultimately, your success when we think about fueling as a piece of the puzzle of performance is anchored in pragmatism and repeatability. So in order for us to highlight this, why don't I actually show you a little case study? Let's go through two case studies to give you an idea of what I mean. So let's first talk about Jack. And I should preface, these are real purple patch athletes, but... To protect their identity, I have changed their names. But let's talk about Jack. Up-to-date Jack. That's what I call him. If it's out there, Jack has tried it. 
and he is prone to influence on so many of the latest fads and new voodoo components. In the last three to four years, Jack has experimented with veganism, ketosis, high protein shakes, healthy dose of supplements. And at the moment, when we find him for our case study, he's embracing that big subject of periodic fasting. Now, I should highlight before we go on that there's lots of interesting pieces of fasted workouts and even periodic fasting that might have application to athletes and performance-driven people. The research is really interesting around it. Now, parts might carry theoretical water, but we still have to come up to big picture. And now what we're going to do is look at a classic case of someone applying a theory and a trend in a vacuum. Let's talk first about Jack's goals. Well, what Jack wants to do is improve his marathon performance. He also wants to perform in his job. He's an engineer. And as a byproduct, he'd also like to drop some body fat. Many of us would. What's happening at the moment for Jack in his situation is he's struggling to see the weight loss. He's also impacted with energy fluctuations throughout the day. And he wonders if his training is too hard. And ultimately, he hasn't created massive consistency in his training. And the knock-on effect is his running improvements haven't been great relative to the effort that he's put in. So let's have a little look at what Jack is doing. So what he's done is he's gone out and he's done a whole bunch of reading on, you guessed it, the interweb. He's reading all about intermittent fasting. And he started to adopt a practice where his last meal is 6 or 7 p.m., And he's not having his first meal the next day until about lunchtime, 12.30 or 1 o'clock. Jack tends to do his training in the morning. So, of course, he's doing that training on empty stomach. And then he waits on eating. His reading points to better energy and body composition in life with the fasting attached to it. The truth? This isn't working. What Jack isn't accounting for is the integration and alignment of his training. So what happens as he started to adopt this approach, is when he first wakes up, he wakes up hungry. His performance consistency has dropped, as has his average pace in the higher intensity intervals, as well as his high sustainable strong pace that he can hold. He's having a hard time in his afternoon daily eating and his evening daily eating habits. He's having a hard time managing his portions and his food quality. And throughout the day, especially in the afternoon when it comes to work, he has very low focus and very low energy. Of course, the yield out of this is he's not having a positive evolution in his body composition. So what I see as I come in and try and help Jack is a highly motivated man who's under too much stress and is highly committed, but is simply not thriving. Now, when we drop all of the labels, and all of the fads. This is what I think is happening to Jack. Ultimately, he's under-eating relative to his expenditure. And the accumulation over time is creating a massive physiological stress on him. He's consistently performing his workouts under-fueled, and then he doesn't refuel. So the impact of this is during his training sessions, when he has appropriately elevated stress hormones, they end up remaining high and carry on into the workplace. 
And so understand this. When you are training, your stress hormones should be high and circulating. They're helping you perform. But we don't want to carry those stress hormones into the day. But for Jack, that's exactly what's happening. So when he's finishing those sessions, he carries the stress hormones to the day and he's placing himself into what I would call athletic starvation. And that athletic starvation signals high cravings for the foods that the body is in demand of, sugars and starchy carbohydrates. That is having a knock-on effect to Jack in which it reduces his ability to control his portions later in the day. With his body in what I call athletic starvation, what is supposedly a good thing is ultimately leading him to cling on calories as the best form of stored energy. Yes, that's fat. And so he places himself in starvation. He gets high hunger signals for the carbohydrates that he wants to try and reduce. And later in the day has a massive challenge in controlling his diet and avoiding those carbohydrates. When he ultimately goes ahead and eats those carbohydrates, yes, those are stored as fat. Finally, Jack is going to be faced with massive energy fluctuations and slumps in the afternoon. Now, this can come from an accumulation of stress through the habits that have occurred earlier in the day, or also probably from that big lunch that he just can't control, where he probably is overeating carbohydrate, leaving to big belly equals empty brains. Therefore, very sleepy and very lethargic in the afternoon. Practically, He isn't performing, he isn't getting leaner, he's got low focus and decision-making and sharpness in the workplace. And so this is a situation in which something sounds right, but, well, it tastes bad. So let's dive into the intervention. And the mission or the theme around Jack's intervention was back to basics and simplify. Enough of the label, his mission was to ground out the basics and see what could happen. So what that meant was first, Jack would wake up, have a cup of coffee. Now, sometimes he would have a little slice of toast or a piece of fruit, but ultimately Jack likes to work out on an empty stomach. And so do I, to be honest. So in this workout, what we wanted Jack to realize is that he would go and hit his morning workout. And during that workout, three things were occurring. The first is that he was having experiencing elevated stress hormones. That's normal and expected. The second is he was burning calories. And the third is that he was doing specific and positive damage to the muscles so that he can force adaptation and progression. So once he was finishing this workout on an empty stomach, he then had a very simple thing. Within 30 minutes, he had to refuel. That was the non-negotiable. And refueling had to include some protein and carbohydrate. The protein to help repair and secondly, lower those stress hormones. Yes, there's the dirty secret. Consuming protein lowers cortisol. And so consume protein. And secondly, this is a wonderful time for Jack to take in carbohydrate. It replenishes the caloric spend And at the same time, the body is most efficient at synthesizing carbohydrates during this time when his metabolic rate is high. I asked Jack not to skimp on calories. That can come later if we're thinking about body composition. This is no time to go on the diet. And so 
within 30 minutes, non-negotiable, a good amount of protein, a good amount of starchy carbohydrate, and don't skimp on the calories. Of course, it's counterintuitive to Jack, but that was the demand. That was the ask. We then asked Jack to rehydrate. Coffee is okay, but have some water also. So Jack is now, ladies and gentlemen, fueled up. So now we have to think about what happens next in his day. Well, the most important thing is what doesn't happen next. What happens in this situation is that Jack doesn't go into the workday with elevated stress hormones. He also doesn't go in with big hunger signals. And so he's not getting get the cravings for the carbohydrates that the body is clinging for. Instead, he goes insatiated with his body refueled, cortisol levels lowered, and a platform of fuel for him to get on for his workday. So now he isn't prone to big energy fluctuations, at least energy fluctuations related to starvation. If he decides to sleep very poorly, and then, well, that's a different case. But we eliminate the fluctuations of energy related to starvation. He gets the calories in, and now he starts his eating habits for the day in a place of control, not deprivation. And this is laying the platform for him now to be able to make smart choices throughout the rest of the day. So in that rest of the day, now he has less cravings. So that opens the door and opportunity for him to eat sensibly. He's less prone to fatigue from gorging because gorging tends to happen when you're really, really hungry and he's not going to have those sort of sensations. And he has the door of opportunity open where he can focus on consuming nutrient-dense foods and building blocks for the rest of the day. And those are proteins, good oils and fats, and a truckload of veggies. So what about fat loss? Well, is there a time and place to lower calories and intake? Yeah, there is. In Jack's case, because he's worked out in the morning, it's best to do it later in the day and a reduction of focus on evening starch and alcohol in those evenings. If he does this consistently, it not only ensures that he finishes his workout and he gets the calories in required to help rejuvenation, but it's going to set up a framework of control and a much higher likelihood of good quality choices in the rest of the day. So ultimately in Jack's case, you're buying freedom. By a simple habit, you're actually reducing the things that create challenges, the starvation, the cravings, the lack of control. And that's the high component. Well, let's go deeper onto this. Let's think about another athlete. We're going to talk about Sarah. I call her the influencer. Sarah the influencer, and it seems the influenced. So Sarah is a keen triathlete and ultimately a relatively high performer in the sport. She trains plenty, but out of it has never really maximized performance. And she also feels like she clings to body fat despite her training load. She's super proud of her commitment. She holds influence to many on social media and is keen to try methods to try and improve her cause, as she calls it. And is always talking about these in her posts. Sarah has a friend. Good for Sarah. She's got a friend. But Sarah has a friend and her friend has made a lovely transition into veganism. 
And he reports that he feels both ethically and physically and has lost weight. And so, of course, it's really appealing. And so Sarah decides she's going to give it a try. And she's highly disciplined in her sport and eating. So she has no problem making the switch whatsoever. Well, we find Sarah six months in and she's not doing well. She's removed meat from her diets and she holds a highly disciplined approach to eating down to counting calories and weighing food. The initial six weeks to a couple of months were positive. Improved energy swings, initial weight loss. But two months in, the honeymoon was over. Her weight stabilized to being the same as it ever was. Her performance in training dropped and she started to report sleep deprivation and lower energy levels. In fact, on top of it all, she started to have bubbling up anxiety. And of course, she's tying her results straight down to her diet and she's eager to find results. So her final intervention has been to reduce post-workout fueling. She's now holding back on calories post-workout calories out. I don't want to put them back in. I've done a great session. I've got to lose weight. Practically, Sarah isn't performing as we meet her. She's underfed and her post-workout fueling routine is a shambles. She is, without a doubt, carrying amplified stress and simply doesn't have enough protein support. The muscles are not being replenished. And so, what do we do with intervention? Well, I should point out at this stage, before I get inundated with challenge, I have absolutely no issue with veganism. I appreciate the considerations and the choices, but my responsibility is performance. And in Sarah's case, the evangelism that so happened to be in this case, veganism, amplified a series of negative habits. And so her two main issues were not about veganism, but they were about being undercaloried relative to a training regime and having a shifting relationship to food. And with it became additional mental stress with the rigor of her diet. It became controlling, not liberating. And so what should we do? Well, you might assume that I would guide her to a meat-eating life again. But I think that that's addressing the wrong piece of the pie. Instead, what we had to do was redefine the relationship with food before it became bigger. And so we went through a few steps in the process. The first is to try and get her habit-driven, focus on post-workout fueling. The second and the most initial step was to provide her with a baseline count of intake. We had to put in a floor. She had to consume enough calories. And then as we evolved we ensured that she removed counting and focused on habits as her caloric replenishment. She had to commit, if she was going to continue with veganism, to new protein sources that were non-animal in destination. And the joy of exploration ended up turning into a habit. Finally, it was something related to training. We removed her power meter, her heart rate, and her GPS. What? Yes, what I felt like she needed as well was not just a nutrition intervention, but I wanted her to shift to the essence of what attracted her to the sport in the first place, rather than it being just strictly numbers driven. In the same time, we focused on habit, on energy, on repeatable baseline components, and we had her have fun and enjoy it. 
But the key to it all was fueling. The fueling was hopefully going to prevent a cascade of negative habits, and it began with the baseline caloric dump. Now, the research will tell you it doesn't matter when you get your protein. And it will also tell you that as long as you eat well over the course of the day, then the muscles restock. This is true. But if you skip post-workout fueling, you're just leading yourself down a runway of challenge. And that's what happened with Sarah. She had suppressed control, she had increased stress, and she had a bad start to her baseline caloric replenishment. And that became a massive challenge for her. And so it was just a pathway for her to making a route of poor choices to food later on. It became a battle. And so in Sarah's case, and for your case, I ask, why not just do it? Why not just make it a habit and set yourself up for success? Why would you be driven by a paper or two in an isolated mindset when it's always going to be about creating repeatable habits that allow success, control, and consistency. What we're looking for is performance predictability. And the baseline habits for Sarah were the only route for her to retain her now ethical choice, but without the cost of energy, health, and performance. And so in Sarah's case, by simply replacing post-workout fueling, making sure that she had a floor of caloric intake, it set her up for a framework of control. And it made the decision-making for the rest of the day easier so that she could actually be successful in her execution and ultimately be able to integrate veganism into her life without it being an overall dilution. And so those are our case studies. Those are two of the key components of why we think post-workout fueling is so important. It's really down to, yes, suppressing and stabilizing cortisol levels and stress hormones, giving yourself a runway of energy stabilization throughout the day, setting yourself up for success and control in the food choices for the rest of the day, as well as your portion control. It isn't just about muscle physiology. It isn't just about what the research says. It's about setting yourself up for success. And that becomes the component. So our case studies highlight the cost of skipping fueling. And the mission behind it must be a true habit. So why don't we nail down to finish this show a quick hit list of positive fueling habits. Let's break it up. We need to think about those that are working out in the morning as well as the night owls, those that are actually tend to work out in the evening. So if you're a sunriser, here's the quick list for you. First, it's okay to work out on an empty stomach apart from female athletes. Female athletes tend to generally benefit from a little carbohydrate and protein in the morning. Not enough to leave bloating in the session, but it's important hormonally. Either way you go, the critical component is that you must train and then refuel. And this is your performance meal. And so we always talk about the workout is not over until you have had your performance meal following. So this means for the sunrisers, it's typically a breakfast. It's within 30 minutes, no matter what the level of the workout was. And it is focused around carbohydrate. This is the great time of day to eat your starch and protein. 
We want to make sure that we limit too much fat, not eliminate, but just limit too much fat because that disrupts a little bit of protein uptake. And we also want to avoid too many antioxidants. Those are great, berries and spinach and components like that, but save them to other parts of the day. And as much as possible, eat real food. An energy bar or a protein shake is a bridge, but it is not a meal. So if, if, if you get your fueling correct, what do we then focus on for the rest of the day? Well, if you've wrapped your workouts with a little starchy carbohydrate and you suppress the cortisol levels with some protein, now in the rest of the day, your focus can be on nutrient-dense foods, lots of proteins, lots of oils, lots of veggies. And you have earned the right to have a lower focus on starchy carbohydrates. Unless, of course, you need those carbohydrates to help set you up for success in your second workout of the day if you're a high-level athlete or if you're training so much that you simply need the padding of calories. But for you guys that are just morning workout people for the rest of the day, then starchy carbohydrates can become less less of a focus for you. Eat lots of colorful foods and ultimately eat plenty of foods. You're going to need them over the course of the day and over the course of the weeks. And finally, don't guilt out if you have the occasional excess or a little bit of overconsumptions. That's the part of the fabric of life. Don't tie emotions to food. Eat well most of the time with great habits and it's all going to come out in the wash. But what about for my night owls? What do we do for the evening trainers? Well, ultimately, breakfast is still the most important meal of the day. You don't have to have it first thing. You can delay a little bit and have a little bit of your intermittent fasting if you would so like. But don't wait too long. And breakfast wants to have some life energy, good proteins, and some starchy carbohydrates. If you do that, you can expect good portion of food control later on, improved energy management and focus, and a great ability to manage stress. And so, even if you're not working out to the evening, still have your building block of great breakfast. Once you've nailed that, you can have a nutritious lunch that is relatively low in starchy carbohydrate, lots of proteins, lots of vegetables, and things that actually don't cause a brain fog or or brain fatigue. So you're still going to have good focus throughout the day. But here comes the difference. Before your evening workout, somewhere around an hour and a half or two hours before that workout, it's a good idea to have a little bit of carbohydrate. Nothing that's going to cause bloating, but something to fuel that training. You also want to start to hydrate throughout the day so you arrive at that evening session not in a dehydrated state. You go and exercise, do your training, and then dinner becomes a recovery meal. So eat real food, tons of protein, tons of veggies, but different to my morning workout people, you're going to need to include some starchy carbohydrate. Now the mission, the hope, is that you're able to give a little bit of space between that post-workout meal and your bed. Because you want to go to bed with a little bit of digestion already occurred. Hopefully though, You do that without having to compromise the total hours that you're sleeping. And so that's the list. Try it. Make it a habit. And one more thing. Notice how in this discussion, 
I didn't really discuss engineered foods, gels, blocks, chews, recovery shake. Here's my take. They have a place. But you don't need calories in workouts that are 75 minutes or less in duration. So when you can, eat real food and avoid engineered food. Something like a post-workout shake is only there for a high-load training athlete or as a bridge. It is not a replacement. And so, yes, the high-performing athlete should absolutely use recovery shakes so that they can bridge to a big meal. But their caloric needs are different than yours. And so as much as you can, avoid it. Go for the real food. And so that's it, guys. That's the show. Post-workout fueling. As you can tell, something of a passion for mine. Now, we're going to do a little bonus this week. We're going to put out a second show just on a few little questions. We've got so many questions, and I thought, you know what? We're not just going to pat them on. We're going to give the listeners a fair shake. And so stay tuned for a little bonus show that's coming in a couple of days' time where we're going to answer some of your performance questions. And then back to it next week. And so until next time, stay fueled. Take care. Thanks so much for listening. This has been the Purple Patch Podcast. If you like what you hear, we'd really appreciate it if you share with your friends and even go the extra mile and head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate and review the show. The Apple Podcast link is in the show notes. Your support and positive reviews go a huge way in increasing our visibility and also the exposure to time-starved people everywhere who want to integrate sport into life and ultimately thrive. Don't forget, you can also follow us on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Cheers!